How's everybody doing? Good? All right. I'm so glad you came out today. You set your clocks ahead. You put away all fears. You're, you're healthy. You're not spreading germs. And you're healthy and you're here. That's great. We're glad that you're here. And um, I wanted to talk about today is about discerning God's will. And especially, I believe it's applicable to our lives today because uh, we're in the midst of a bit of anxiety, confusion, fear, uh, unknown. Um, and so how do you discern God's will in the midst of unknown things or in the midst of confusion and difficulty? And I believe that God wants us to understand that. But, you know, one of the things that we have to understand, too, is right from the beginning of time, right from the beginning of Genesis, people have been in a battle, in a power struggle with God about who's in control of their life. Am I in control of my life? And I make my decisions? Or is God in control of my life? And is He the one that makes and guides and directs my life? And so there's this power struggle and this tension. I'm sure that you have experienced that in your life. I know I have. But throughout the Bible, this has happened right from the very beginning. Adam and Eve were told, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they went ahead and they did it. Or like Cain, who killed his brother out of envy, uh, he went ahead and followed what he thought was best. And so there's always been this struggle. Why do we have a hard time trusting that God's plan is the best plan? Why do we have a hard time believing that God is good, that he wants the very best for us? Why do we have a hard time believing that he should be in control of our lives? So I want to share a little bit of a video clip with you to kind of introduce this topic, and uh, I'm sure you'll get the point here. We'll go to the video. Jesus, I have decided to give you this. Really? Yeah. You know whoever sits here makes all the decisions, right? I know, and I'm always making decisions, but you make the perfect decisions, so you just sit right down and start making them. Wow, I'm honored. I mean, this feels great. Kathleen, guess what? I just got my new credit card. It's time to go shopping. Oh, really? I thought your husband and you were going to pay off debt. Oh, yeah. I mean, money's kind of tight, but I figured he doesn't have to know about it. So do you want to oh. go with me? No. <laughs> no? Why? Uh, what I mean is, uh, I don't know. Um, oh. So let me check my schedule, and then I'll get back to you. Okay, yeah, give me a call. Okay. <laughs> Kat, what's going on? What do you mean? Well, I'm kind of one cheek in it here. Look, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. You wanted me to sit here, right? Well, of course. And whoever sits here makes all the decisions? Right. So what's the problem? Uh, there's not a problem. I just, I don't know what I was thinking. Really, please, here, sit down. As long as you're sure. I'm sure. Okay, okay. so let's start over. Okay. All right. Kat, I noticed that you've been losing your temper a lot lately. Right. So, okay, Jesus, you know what? I know what you're going to say, but um, see, you, do? you don't know the whole situation, you know? Oh, I, well, all I'm saying is that your attitude is a decision. Yes, of course, but I have a lot going on right now. Well, I know you're under a lot of pressure. Pressure? Jesus, you don't understand pressure, okay? This I, isn't working, Kat. What? We can't both sit on the seat. 
It's either me or it's you. Okay, I know. You know, I just, I didn't think it was going to be this hard, but here, just take it. No, I'm not going to take it. You have to give it to me. Okay, here. Kathleen, make a choice. I can't. You just did. I love that last line. Just take it, Jesus. No, you have to give your life to me. You have to surrender. And I think that's something about the will of God and discerning the will of God. There's a basic premise that has to be uh, there before you can really know the will of God. And that's to be surrendered to Him. To have Him on the throne of your life. The Bible says over a thousand different ways... A thousand different times that God is good, He's loving, but He also wants to be in control of our lives. Because He is Lord. He made us, He fashioned us, He knows what's best. Uh, Last week we talked about King David. And we talked about how he decided what he was going to do with his life and he made quite a few mistakes, right? Well, we talked about that last week. And then David came to this place where he finally understood that he had been covering up his sin, had been trying to run his own life his way, doing things what he wanted to do instead of what God wanted him to do. And then he came to this place of repentance. And this deep repentance brought him restoration in his soul. And then David began again listening to God and giving him the throne of his life, letting him sit on the throne. And Psalm 32, 8 and 9 says this, what God says to David, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Isn't it great to know that God's loving eye is on us? It's not an eye of judgment and condemnation. The Bible says that God's loving eye is on us. He wants the very best for us. Do not be like a horse or a mule which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they'll not come to you. And so that's why we're doing this series of messages on divine direction. We need direction in our life. If God does not speak to us and lead us, we'll end up following oftentimes the desires of our heart that aren't in line with God's desires. And so let's pray and ask God to speak to us today. Father, we ask that you would just really, really speak today to us. Lord, we're hearing so many messages. We're hearing so many threats of pandemic, coronavirus, of things that are fallen in this world. And Lord, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what your perspective is. We want to understand and discern your will so Lord, we can be used by you and during this time in our lives, in this century, to be used as your children, as your servants. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, God's plan versus our plan. That's a biggie. Are you uh, following God's plan or are you following your own plan for your life? Rick Warren says this, everyone's life is driven by something. 
Most dictionaries define the verb drive as to guide or to control or to direct. And whether you're driving a car or a nail or a golf ball, you are guiding, controlling, and directing it at that moment. What is, what is the driving force in your life? Think about that. What is the thing that really drives me, that motivates me? Now, some of our young people, it might be your game. The video game that you're on, it's like, it drives you, it, it just draws you in. Every spare moment, I want to be on that game. It's not God. It's a driving force other than that. For others of us, it might be our career, or it might be our fear, or it might be our anxiety. Rick Warren goes on to say, right now, you may be influenced by a problem, a pressure, or a deadline. You may be driven by a painful memory, a haunting fear, or an unconscious belief. There are hundreds of circumstances, values, and emotions that can drive your life. They drive your life, they drive my life. The fear of illness, the fear of what's going to happen tomorrow, that can be driving our life, our thoughts, our emotions, and take control of them. They can influence them that much. much. There's a great example of that is Michael Phelps. You know Michael Phelps, who he is? Right? Everybody knows him. 28 Olympic medals. If Michael Phelps was a nation, let's call him the kingdom of Michael Phelps, he would be 15th on the all-time list of most medals accrued by a nation. That that means he's ahead of 93% of the other nations. Just by himself. I mean, the guy achieved so much in his lifetime. He set a goal. He had a plan. He achieved it. And yet, he still felt empty inside. So much so that he started to take drugs, alcohol, and was, com- was thinking about committing suicide. And then one day, his friend Ray Lewis, who is a professional athlete, came up to him and gave him the book, The Purpose Driven Life, by Rick Warren, whom I just quoted earlier here. That book actually sold 32 million copies, the best seller for many, many years, and translated in over 85 languages. And so it really spoke to Michael Phelps. He, he, he read it, and it changed his whole direction in his life. He said, God has a purpose for me higher than just winning Olympic medals. In fact, there's so much more that God wants for me. But what was controlling Michael Phelps was not just the drive to get Olympic medals. It was the resentment that he had for his father, who abandoned him as a young age. His father, they were divorced and pretty much cut him off. His father was a state trooper, and they lost connection. And Michael Phelps was driven to prove his father that he was worth loving. And his father just ignored him for many, many years. And so Michael Phelps actually invited him to his birthday party after he read the book, and they began to connect again in their relationship. But you would think that Michael Phelps was just driven by a goal, but he was driven by something deeper than that in his soul. And it was resentment. And this was driving him, although he accomplished something, 
when he accomplished all those things and he had to retire, he was left still with the resentment in his life. So what happens? What's driving us is so important to understand. If you're going to discern God's will, you've got to step back and you've got to say, okay, do I want God and the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to drive and guide my life? Or am I going to be driven by something else? If you live driven by fear and anxiety, you'll be filled with more anxiety and fear until it's controlling your thoughts and your actions. Today, our society is being controlled by a lot of anxiety and fear. And there's some justification for that because the COVID-19 virus is out. It's a pandemic in the globe. And we haven't even hit probably how high it's going to get in the United States. If you'd like to get a good resource, Dr. Stephen Coe is the pastor of New York Chinese Alliance, and you can Google him. And he is a former uh, doctor, pediatrician, uh, worked for the CDC at one time, set up programs for a number of different nations for health care and, and uh, controlling uh, epidemics. And he says this, that we need to not be driven by fear even at a time like this. But as Christians, and now he's a pastor, he put that all aside and he's a pastor, but now they're calling on him to give advice in New York City on what they should do. But he said we shouldn't be driven by fear, but we should be understanding God at this moment and his will for our lives. Well, you know what the scripture says in Philippians 4, 6 and 7, it says, do not be anxious about anything. Are you saying even the coronavirus, Al? Yeah. Don't be even anxious about that. Why? Because in every situation, you mean even the coronavirus? Yeah. Yeah. Everything. You know what the Greek means in that? It means everything. Everything. If you want to believe that God is Lord over all, He's even Lord over this. And we can trust Him. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Do you know that I've seen some information that showed Vice President Pence praying with other senators and leaders in the Oval Office, and they were being mocked for praying. They were being mocked. Now, it doesn't matter what your political stance is. Prayer is so vital to us. We need to be praying people. We need to take precautions. We need to step up and do the things that we're supposed to do. But we're supposed to pray. Present your request to God and the peace of God, the peace of God that transcends all understanding. And this is where a believer is. A believer can have the peace of God in the midst of a very unpeaceful situation or a high anxiety situation. A believer guided, directed, and controlled by the Holy Spirit 
can have peace in the midst of difficulties. And that's what God's calling all of us to do, is to have this peace, and it'll guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. That's the promise from God. So what I believe that God wants us to do is to be infiltrated, not with the coronavirus, but with the Word of God. He wants us to be infiltrated, not with COVID-19, but with the promises of God on our hearts, in our minds, meditating upon that, and then understanding and knowing how God wants to use us in a situation like this. Because the church really is God's instrument on earth today. The church is the instrument that God wants to use. And you and I are a part of the church. When you think about it, this idea of fear and anxiety always grips people, even people of faith, right? Have you ever given God something and then taken it back? Kind of like that that skit that we saw. It's very easy to give God something, then all of a sudden you're full of anxiety again and you take it back again. And so sometimes, I love that song that we sang again and again and again, I run to the Father again and again and again, because sometimes we're running our own life and we need to run to him and allow him and give him control and allow him to take control and ask him to. You think about the people in the Bible. Moses was at the Red Sea and he had to tell the people, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And what was happening was an Egyptian army was coming down to them. They could see the white of their eyeballs and they were coming right at them. And then Moses says this, stand still and see the salvation of God. And you know what the people said. Moses, what did you do? Lead, it out, lead us out here to die? And then Moses raises up his staff and the waters part and they walk through. God brought a miracle. It happens again when the spies go into the promised land and 12 of them go in and 10 come back with a fearful anxiety report. The giants, they're in the land. There's no way. We look, we're like grasshoppers compared to them. And so they spread the rumor, and it spreads throughout all million people of the Exodus. And they decide it's too crazy. We can't go into the promised land. And so God says, okay, you won't go in, except the two spies, Joshua and Caleb, that gave a good report, that had the faith. He says, you'll wander around in the desert for 40 years. 40 years they went into the desert. Now, was God's eye taken off them? No. In fact, the Bible says their sandals never wore out. They always had food in the wilderness, but they never made it into the promised land. And so what I'm saying is, as believers, we can be in the wilderness for a long time if we don't have faith and discern God's will for our lives. You say, Al, I don't have time to take the time to pray, to read the word of God, to memorize it, to understand it, to understand and hear from God. I don't have that kind of time. I mean, I got I to watch the news. I mean, if I don't watch the news, I'm not going to know what's, gonna, what's happening here. You know, I do the same thing. I think I watch the news more than I read the Bible. 
I think I, I sometimes think about other things other than God. Except, you know, I got to prepare a message for you guys every week. I get a little advantage. It's a little motivation for me to study the Bible. But there's so many things. There's work. There's school. There's, there's so many things that vie for our attention. And then pretty soon, we have our mindset on so many other things other than God. And we can't discern his will or his purpose or his plans for our life or even what he's doing in this world. And I believe in these times that God wants us to understand who he is. That's why Psalm 33, verses 8 through 11, it says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. Be in awe of him. God is the creator of the world. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. God is able to keep his promises. What he says will happen. You can count on it. And the thing is that God speaks things into our lives. He desires to speak his truth into our lives, his purpose, his plan into our life, so that we can have confidence then to move forward into his will. But if we don't ever hear him, if we don't ever understand his will, a lot of times we get stuck in a place of in-between, of fear and anxiety and hearing from God, but not quite hearing from God. And so we never step forward into his will. And that's a tough place to be. That's like the children of Israel in the, in the wilderness. But he says here, he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. And Psalm 33, verses 10 and 11 says, the Lord foils the plans of nations. You know what, we're under, you know what I believe God is doing with this coronavirus? I don't think God caused the virus, okay? But he's using it to wake people up to see that they are not in control. The nations aren't in control. The government's not in control. We're not even in control. But God is inviting us to come to him and to have his peace and his perspective during this time. doesn't mean that you know, if you, you may get sick, I may get sick. Doesn't mean that, you know, Christians aren't going to be touched at all by this virus. But what it means is that we can't have our hearts full of anxiety and fear of the future if God is the Lord of our lives. Look at what he says here. But the plans of the Lord, they stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations, and that includes our generation. That includes you and I. His purposes stand through all generations. And it's the purposes of his heart. If we don't understand that God loves us and he's good, that's his heart. That's his heart then we get fearful. But if you know him, you know that he wants to act and work in our behalf. He wants us to come to him. Do you remember the story of Jesus? And this one time, uh, the disciples are trying to drive out this demon, 
And nobody can drive the demon out of this little boy. He keeps on throwing himself into the fire. And Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration with uh, Peter and John and James. And they come in and they go, what's going on? And there's a big argument happening and nobody can drive this demon out. They, they, we don't understand, Jesus. You've got to do something. And then Jesus comes up to the father of the little boy. And he comes up to him and uh, the father comes up to Jesus, actually, and he asks him for help. And he says this, uh, but if you can do anything, take pity and help us. And then you know what Jesus says? He says, if I can. If I can? Jesus, he has pity on this man, but he doesn't want to leave him in his pity and lack of faith. He's calling him to a greater faith. In fact, he's rebuking him. Here's this guy. Jesus, come on, have some compassion on this father. I mean, look at his, his son is suffering. He's going to kill himself. He's going to throw himself in the fire. Have some compassion. And the guy just came up and asked you for help. If you can help. And Jesus said, if I can. And then he said, everything is possible for him who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And you know what Jesus was doing? He was calling him to a greater faith. And it's the same thing that Jesus does in our lives. And you know, I love that man's prayer because it was so honest. Aren't you sometimes in that place, Lord, I believe, but I still got some doubts. I I still have some unbelief, so help me overcome my unbelief. And I believe God honors that. Jesus didn't uh, turn the man away. He healed his son. But he was in this struggle. You know, there's this struggle going on. You know, Lord, I believe, but, you know, there's some things... I'm struggling with. That's okay to be there. I think that's pretty normal. You know, sometimes God gives us overcoming faith where we just know God has spoken and we're supposed to do this thing and nothing's going to stop us, and that happens sometimes. But other times, I know in my life, I've been like, Lord, you really want me to do this? I don't know. Or you really want me to trust you with this? Your faith cannot be in your faith. How many people know that? Don't put your faith in your faith. You know why? Because faith has to have an object bigger and stronger than itself. Faith in yourself is limited faith. It's doomed to fail. Michael Phelps put faith in himself. He achieved a lot. But it didn't really solve the resentment in his heart, right? Didn't really help bring the healing into his life that he really needed to be at peace with God and with himself. So you don't put faith in faith. You put your faith 
in the Lord. Faith in God and His Word is limitless and eternal because it's based on God's character. When we place our faith, so the object of our faith, what helps us is the Word of God. And the promises of God reveal the character of God. And then invite us into a relationship with God through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm I'm not telling you just to, you know, blab the Word of God out. I'm not telling you that. What I'm telling you is that there is this relationship when God, through the Holy Spirit, lights His Word up in your heart, gives you the Word, and it becomes something for you to hold on to and then carry through in life. And God wants us to experience that. I believe David experienced that. I believe men and women of the Bible that really accomplished what God had wanted for them in their lives, they experienced those things. Look at what it says here in Psalm 33, verses 4 through 6. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He's faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. Again, the psalmist is saying, look at God is full of unfailing love. Things in this world will fail you. People will fail you. Jobs will fail you. Teacher will fail you if you do bad. <laughs> but God's unfailing love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. And what the psalmist is saying, when most people believe David wrote this, he had settled in his mind the issue of God's character. That he's faithful in what he does. That he loves justice, holiness, that he's kind, that he's merciful, that he's good, that he's loving, he's full of unfailing covenant love, and that he's all-powerful. And it's the best thing is to place our lives in his hands. But you know, we have, like what I talked about before, is this sinful nature. So sometimes we go in and out of walking in the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we're like really walking in faith. And other times we're like being driven by our emotions. So what do we do? I believe there's this beautiful prayer in Psalm 139. 23 and 24, this is a prayer that I believe we need to be praying in these days when there's so much unknown and unrest. It says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. If there's anything, Lord, in me that is an offense to you, that is going to be driving my life out of your will, out of your plan, Reveal it to me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, this is not a verse that tells you, God, I'm going to go commit adultery and you can stop me if you want. But if you don't stop me, I'm going to go ahead. So it must be your will. I'm going to go ahead and do it. This is not, no, this is saying, Lord, I want to follow your will, your way, your purposes, your plans. And I know adultery is wrong, so I ain't even talking about that. I'm talking about what you want for my life, my future, my career, who you want me to marry, 
how you want me to stay in my marriage, make it right. How you want to work in my life, I want to know. And if there's something offensive in my attitude, in my heart, that's not right in line with your will, show it to me. I need to know it. Because you know what? We all have blind spots. We talked about that in Youth Alpha. We're talking about blind spots. And we were talking about, you know, everybody has them. And that's why somebody said it's good to have a friend that could speak to you and give you an objective viewpoint. Because sometimes we're blinded to our own perspective on things. You know, so many people are driven for security, significance, acceptance, and they try to find it outside of God and His will and purpose and plan for their life. But the best place, the best place is in the arms of our Father, our Heavenly Father. So how do you know? I'm just going to finish this up. How do we know how to get to discern God's Word? Well, first of all, God uses the Scripture And the scripture is God-breathed. That means that the things that were written in the Bible came from the very mouth of God. Even though they're written by people, the writer says they're inspired. They've come from the very mouth of God, and they are still true today as they were when God spoke them. Because God's word is eternal, and it never changes, and he always keeps his promises. So God speaks his word, and we can trust it. We can trust his promises. It's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And I love this, that it's useful to rebuke us. You know how Jesus challenged that man? The word of God will challenge your faith. If you get in the word of God, it'll challenge you. Do you really believe this? Will you trust me in this? Will you take action on this? Will you build your life on this and my love? Will you do that? So it's useful to rebuke us. It's useful to train us and correct us when we're wrong so that the servant of God can be equipped. The Message Bible says, verse 17, though through the word we are put together and shaped up for the task God has for us. The thing is, To discern God's will, it's not so much so that you'll have the right person to marry, 2.5 kids, a nice income, and retire by the time you're 45. You know, like, that is not God's will for your life. I can tell you that right now. God is concerned about how He has shaped you, gifted you, used you so that you can leverage everything that he's given you for his kingdom and his will. So that you can be used by him. Not in ministry. You might be a teacher. You might be a doctor. You might be an engineer. You might be a lawyer. You might be an architect. You might be a housewife. You might be a mother. You might be a father. But he's going to use all of those things so that you could be used by him and thoroughly equipped for every work that he has prepared you for.
And really, that's what he's after. So even after you retire at 45 or 50 years old, he still has work for you to do. It's not wrong to retire at 45 or 50. I'm not saying that. If you can, go for it. I know George's been trying for years, but he ain't going to make it. He missed that. He missed that boat. But what you do have, you leverage for God's kingdom. And the gifts that you have and the things that he's worked in you and the way that he's made you and shaped you and spoken to you, you may be used to touch one person's life that is going to touch hundreds and even thousands of others. Talk about the spread of the coronavirus, right? We need to be infiltrated with the Holy Spirit and spread him around. And share him with other people. We need to be infectious of the gospel. And live that way. So I want to encourage you to build your faith. You build it by praying. And you avoid unbelief. How do you avoid unbelief, Al? Well, the the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The more you are convinced, and I'm not saying the more you read the Bible, that you know, you could read the Bible and it not even have an effect on you. I mean, we've all been we've all been to Bible studies and read through the Bible, and twenty minutes later we said, well, I don't know what I read. I just I read it, but I don't know, I don't know what I read. What did I just read? You know, <clears throat> but what it is, it's the Holy Spirit bringing the word of God into your life in such a way that you know God has spoken something to you and then you begin to act on it. So it's, it's something that God wants to build in us. And, it, and, the, and Hebrews says this, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Because what can happen is when we're being driven by other things other than the Holy Spirit, they influence our life. And then we make decisions based on those things and it can actually turn us away from God's will and plan for our lives. And so he says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. It goes on and says, you know, we need to encourage one another daily. We need to help each other. That's why if we ever have to, because of the virus, and we will follow the protocol of the Uh, government and uh, New York State and uh, uh, CDC, if we have to end service here because of the virus, we're going to find ways that we can still communicate to each other through email or small groups or meeting up, you know, if you're not sick, you can meet up for (laughs) a small group or something like that. But we may have to uh, stop using this facility. That may happen. We don't know. We're planning on having church next week. We're planning on having uh, Alpha on Wednesday. But day by day, if things change, and we will let you know through the uh, website or through email, we'll let you know what the plans are and let's stay connected during this time. But during this time, if for some reason we are quarantined in our homes, what are you going to use your time for? I believe God wants us to have a little silence and solitude and reconnect with him. One-on-one, yeah. 
Say, Lord, search me, test me, show me what's in my heart. And then lead me in your way everlasting. I want to follow you. And so God may be setting up a big personal retreat for all of us. We might all have our own little sabbatical here. You know, Pastor Peter's on a sabbatical, but we might be, uh, we might be having our own sabbatical here. So, but let's just be praying that God uses this time to draw us closer to him, not to, move, not to fall away from him. You know, Michael Phelps went through a season of resentment towards someone. You know, you may be facing a season when you're going through something in your life and it's driving you and it's, it's, it's just hounding you at night and uh, you, need, you need help or need prayer. We want to pray for you. And then we want you to, to uh, really hopefully be able to reconnect with God and get his perspective in it. So let's pray and let's ask God to continue to to teach us and lead us and guide us. Father, we thank you that you still are a God who reveals your will. Lord, that you say, um, you give us prayers to pray. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. You uh, instruct us to say, Lord, search me. God, know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord Jesus, you taught your disciples and you taught us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will, your will be done in my life. So Lord, would you have your way? Teach us to discern your will. We ask this in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ.